she's the only person that could have said it to me. And the probably the only way I could have gotten over the hump was for her. She knew that I needed it was to say, you know, if you want to get in the car right now and, and get pain relief and go to the hospital, that is your choice. But it's, it has to come from a place of power. You know, I'm, I'm not going to let you look down the road from here six months and wonder about the what ifs. If you're not a victim of your birth, you know, make this decision, but, you know, make it for yourself and make it from a place of power. You are not a victim. Welcome to the Happy Home Birth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and motherhood. Midwives, have you ever experienced that moment in labor with a client where you know it's a fork in the road? What do you do and what do you say? Now, what if that client is also your daughter? Hey there, happy home birthers, and welcome to episode 121 of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco, and this week's interview is special indeed. We're speaking with Tori Justison and her mama and midwife, Stacey Bufkin, all about what it was like to hold both a mother and daughter and midwife-client relationship. This interview is phenomenal, and Stacy and Tori bring up aspects of birth that are going to be so valuable, so make sure you're hanging on to every word. Now, don't worry, it's impossible not to. And before we dive in, I have to read the sweetest review from Sierra Morgan Jones, who wrote, Obsessed with Happy Home Birth, I wish I could give this podcast 10 stars. My husband actually introduced me to the Happy Home Birth podcast when he shared Caitlin's interview with Hilda on Wise Traditions. Thank you, hubby. That episode ignited a fire in me to learn all that I could about childbirth because, to be honest, birth scared the heck out of me. I knew I wanted a family and I knew that if I did give birth, I'd want it to be completely natural, but the labor process painted in my head by the world sounded too unbearable to be humanly possible, especially in moments when you show a response to a minor physical pain like a cut and everyone's reaction is, yeah, good luck in childbirth. Thanks, mom. Thumbs up. I dove headfirst into the magical world of happy home birth and became obsessed with learning all that I could about natural childbirth. Caitlin is a phenomenal interviewer. She asks questions that allows the stories to unfold so beautifully and connects so well with each of her guests. I have been binging this podcast, squeezing every last drop of knowledge from other women's experiences until there came a point when I found myself actually looking forward to giving birth. It's amazing how education and the truth can completely demolish our fears. I have now listened to every single episode and what was once a someday or even at times a never going to happen response has now transformed into a squealing over the moon excited I cannot wait. Without question, we will be planning a home birth and I feel so ready for that time when it comes, hopefully soon. What's more is that I get to look forward to sharing my birth story with the Happy Home Birth Podcast community and have an opportunity to speak into other women's lives who might be living with the same fears I was. Thank you, Caitlin, for all you're doing to evangelize the home birth gospel and make more crunchy mama converts of women like myself. Sierra, you made my life. Thank you so much for such an awesome review. If you will email me at Caitlin at myhappyhomebirth.com, I would love to send you a Happy Home Birth Podcast sticker. And hey, if you get a moment, would you stop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a hopefully five-star rating and review if this 
show is helping you too? Okay, my friends, I can't leave you hanging any longer. Let's hop into this interview with Stacy and Tori. Please remember that the opinions of my guest may not necessarily reflect my own and vice versa. And Stacy is a bomb midwife, but remember to continue to see your doctor, midwife, or if you're like me, your chiropractor. And if you're listening to the intro outro and thinking, wow, it sounds like Caitlin's recording this outside at night, you caught me. Tori and Stacy, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. We're We're, happy to be here. Yeah, we're so excited. We've been waiting on this one. I cannot wait to get started. And if you wouldn't mind, would you just take turns introducing yourselves to the listeners? Um, I'm Tori, and uh, this is my mom, Stacy. She is a home birthing midwife, and I just had my first son. We were we're actually coming up on his first birthday this week. Oh, what a perfect time. It is. It really is a perfect time to kind of reflect on his birth. And Stacy, my name is Stacy Buffkin, and I'm a licensed midwife in the state of Alabama. I've been doing um, birth work in my state for about two decades now, and so oh. I just became a grandmother. My daughter yeah. became a mother, and I became a grandmother. Congratulations to both of you. That is such an incredible transition, and you know we really haven't spoken on the transition from motherhood to grandmotherhood on (laughs) you need to to do that I would love to talk about that well let's do it let's let's put it on in here we'll talk about how this was for you so Stacey you are actually though this is your first time being on the podcast you are not new to the Happy Home Birth Podcast. <laughs> I am not new to the Happy Home Birth Podcast. That is right. You have recorded um, a couple of stories from some of my clients. Yes, beautiful stories and, um, and amazing journeys for them and for me too, because I really, um, you know, you, can, you tend to fall in love with some of your clients and those that you have recorded, I really had a special relationship with. Well, I honestly, you're one of the midwives that I've fallen in love with over the podcast. I'm like, oh, Stacey. Yeah, she, she's got it. She knows what she's. She knows oh, what thank, you, thank you. That's so I'm humbled by that, but I appreciate it. Well, I would love to get into this story. This is so fantastic. And we were talking a little bit before we pressed record and gosh, Tori and Stacey, it just, your, your stories together weave so intricately. So could we just kind of start from the beginning, you know, Tori, what was it like growing up in a home with a home birth midwife as your mother? And how do you feel like that kind of influenced your path as you became pregnant? Well, so she's been in birth work since I was, I guess, 12, 12 years old. And um, kind of, she went from being a doula to a monitress to then she was um, a midwife. And so I mean, natural birth and home birth has been in my life as forever since, (laughs) you know, since I was a teenager. And so, I mean, the only thing to know about me is that I'm kind of an intensely opinionated person. And so, you know, because this was a part of my life early on, I was like the girl who showed up to my political science 101 class with the Alabama Mothers to Serve Midwives t-shirt on. I've always been very vocal and a little bit intense. I'll talk to anybody about their birth story, about, you know, physiological birth. I'll, you know, I'll hand out an Ina Mae Gaskin book just on the fly. That's kind of who I am. And so 
it was never a question whether or not I would have a home birth. I think it was, it just ended up being a lot different than we ever expected. It was a question of more of whether it would be legal by the time that that, you know, part of her journey started. So, cause we were pretty, she's been involved in the political process mm -hmm. of what has been going on in our state because we have only been licensing midwives in our state for a couple of years now. Um, so that it has only become legal pretty recently. Yeah, and I'm so grateful that it has. And I just pray that more and more states that are not yet will follow suit. But I'd kind of actually love to hear just a little bit about that, Stacy, and how that has impacted your practice and what it was like once it did become legal. What's kind of changed for you? Yes. Um, so in, in our state, there was a grassroots effort to, um, we, to recognize, of course, um, CPMs, but bigger than that, that was not the first intent. The first intent of legislation was to decriminalize um, midwifery because it was a, a criminal offense in, in our state if, if you practiced or associated um, and had someone that was a CPM, a certified professional midwife, or even lay midwifery was illegal in our state. And we had arrests in our states that in our state that occurred. So this particular effort has been going on or had been going on for about 14 years. It's about how long it took. Mm -hmm. um, and that was with targeted, um, you know, political efforts. So I'm coming up on, I'm finishing up my fourth year on the Alabama State Board of Midwifery. So um, I've been uniquely involved in this process for a long time. I'd say probably about 10, what would you say, Tori? 10, 12, uh, 10, 10, 10, 10, 12 years, um, you know, back and forth to my state capital, capital and, um, you know, reorganizing every year, getting a little bit farther through um, that legislative process. And so that is a long story, Caitlin, <laughs> that um, has many ins and outs. But yes, it has um, it has influenced my journey because you got to remember when I started midwifery school or uh, let me state when I started midwifery school, it was illegal in my state to practice. And so, um, of course, my friends and family would spend sometimes my husband even <laughs> would look at me and go, so you're going to be a home birth midwife and you live in an illegal state. Right. Yeah, that's a that takes a, a really special kind of woman to do it. I'm highly, highly impressed. So, <laughs> so we, um, it was a leap of faith, I guess you could say. And all of it came together beautifully. And, you know, it was just a really intense time in my life. And right. so, and in my family's lives, you know, they have, they have stood side by side with me in that process and been very supportive. Yeah. Well, so Tori, let's, let's talk about what your experience becoming pregnant was like. Did you, you know, was this a, a, a type of thing where it happened very quickly or did, was there some time preconception? What, what was this like for you? Um, so it, it was pretty quick, but you know, my, my husband knew he was getting into bless him. Uh, <laughs> he knew that I was 
the way that I am and that I was going to go for a home birth. And I am um, generally speaking pretty solid on, on anything I want to do. And I'm a little bit stubborn and I like a lot of control. And so, and so I planned the pregnancy. I planned everything. Luckily that worked out well for us. And, you know, we got pregnant pretty quickly. Um, I did not tell mom in a sweet or traditional way, because unfortunately when your mother is a midwife, um, what you do is you show up at her house and dump all of your supplements in front of her on the ground and say, what can I stop taking? I'm pregnant <laughs> instead of oh my gosh, you're going to be a grandmother. So, you know, next time I keep vowing that I'm going to do a really cute, I'm pregnant reveal because I was not very sweet or cute. This time. <laughs> she didn't throw them on the ground. She threw, I was laying in my bed. She threw them on the bed, threw them all out there. And I was like, what are you, what's going on? And she's like, yeah, that's what she did. So that was the announcement of me becoming a grandmother. Isn't that sweet, Caitlin? Lovely. I, I love it. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you guys one day about my announcement to my husband. So, okay. So now you are pregnant, Stacey. I know that with midwifery, you know, you are thinking months ahead when it comes to your schedule. <laughs> so what was this news like when you found out that Tori was pregnant? What did the two of you kind of decide together when it came to care? Was Tori just going to hop on into your traditional prenatal care route? Or what was that like for you two? You want me to answer that? We can, I'll answer, then you can kind of okay. piggyback off of me, I guess. Sounds good. I think, you know, because of the state we live in and, you know, the relationship between obstetric care and um, home birth midwifery care, we felt like the best choice was to do co-care for me. I don't think I needed it, but um, I had a great OB who I loved and she was supportive of my decision and decided that we were gonna go a pretty traditional route OB wise and she was okay with letting go of pretty much all of the control and of seeing me at all in that third trimester. Um, cause she knew that I was healthy, the baby was healthy. And so that's, that's kind of the route that we went. I don't know if we'll do that next time. I'll probably just see mom, but, um, mm -hmm. that first time we decided to do co-care. Yeah. And as far as from my perspective, I had, um, I contacted almost immediately two, um, midwives in my state, one that would be on first base, so to speak, and one that would be on second base that would be with me. Taking care of a family member um, does, I believe, put an extra burden, of course, and I wanted to be present for Tori emotionally as well as, you know, intellectually, physically, all of those things, but she had a very great birth team that we were putting together. I had, um, you know, she had access to doulas. Um, she had an amazing doula, the most amazing, the most amazing the most doula, amazing. she will say. Mm -hmm. And we, yeah, chiropractic care was a big part of that. But um, on my part, I knew that I, for me, I needed multiple layers of not just my eyes on her case because I didn't want it to be, um, you know, coming from an emotional standpoint, I'm an intellectual person that thinks like that. So she's very calm. So I'm very calm. And I tend to almost when I'm in those in my cases, I, I'm 
very intellectual instead of emotionally present. I like to think that I'm emotionally present, but it's not my first job. So, so yeah, we had multiple layers, which we will talk about that those did not pan themselves out for reasons. So um, we will go into that. But yes, we have multiple layers of extra care. But we had been, I guess what I didn't say is like, I had been planning, you know, my birth team and my birth, the way some people plan their wedding. <laughs> yeah. Since I was 13, I was like, I'm going to have two midwives. I'm going to have a jeweler. I'm going to have a water birth. You know, I had it all planned out down to, I want candles. And so <laughs> I'm like, you know, I never really thought too much about my wedding, but I thought a whole lot about my birth. And so it was a really natural kind of transition. As soon as I told her I was pregnant, it was like, all right, here's who we're going to get on board. Yeah. yeah. So, so I had, um, set aside absolutely the moment I found out that she was pregnant, um, you know, two midwives that would be with me. That's perfect. And what about your typical client load? What did you decide to do with that, were you going to just take your typical amount of clients? Were you going to do less? What What was your plan? Yeah, what the plan was, was that I would stop having any client on board two weeks. Of course, you know, them going out to 40 weeks. So you always back up, right? So you take that, that due date and add two weeks. And that would have meant that no one was on the calendar at the beginning of April all the way. I think we were going to take April, May, and June. I was going to take 12 weeks, you know, set aside the calendar for 12 weeks so that I could just. For no on-call births. For no on-call births. And yes. Yeah, that's a, that sounds like such a wonderful way to plan it, <laughs> to be yes. able to, to be there and, and give that, you know, very specific care to your daughter and the capacity of this being your daughter. I mean, that's. That sounds like a great plan. <laughs> we'll we'll see how that went. It was so, a great plan. <laughs> so okay, so we've we've decided that uh, Tori, you're you're obviously you're going to have care with your mom, but she's got some other midwives that are going to be backing her up. How did you feel about that? I mean, it sounds like it was pretty automatic and natural that your mother was going to be your midwife. Was that was it just a super exciting thing that this was your mother giving you your care, or how did that feel for you? Um, I think there, there's so many feelings when you grow, when you grow up with a birth worker, I think for me, um, because of my personality, I'm, I'm a perfectionist and I'm kind of a control freak. She is not that way, but I am. And so I hold on tight to the reins and I really wanted to perform birth well, even mm. though I know that is not something that you get to control. <laughs> and so, you know, in my, I met with my doula and I said, you know, I want to I don't want to yell. I don't want to make too much noise. And she was like, okay, so, but why? <laughs> well, why is this a thing for you? And I think it's because, because I see my mom is kind of, you know, this birth superhero, you know, she got this legislation change. She's the chairman of the board. <laughs> She's this amazing midwife. I just wanted to do it really well. And so there was that, but there was also, we are so, so close that there was never going to be, no one else could have caught my baby unless it was me myself. I just, that, there was never a question. Oh, that's, that is so beautiful that, I mean, and it makes so much sense. I mean, yeah, like just the fact that 
you've seen your mom in this life for so long. So you've got this, you have a respect for what she does because you've seen it forever. And then also she's your mother. And like, what an amazing connection. I just can't, I feel like sometimes midwives end up taking on sort of a maternal role for many clients anyway, you add the layer of actual mother (laughs) to that is just what an incredible experience. We always joke around because I will meet her clients like at the grocery store or wherever, you know, I'll, I'll meet one of them and they will look at me and they'll be like, what is it like having Stacy as your mom? Like, what is it like having mother Teresa as your mother? And like, you know, she was a real mom. Like we got in trouble and you know, my it, was, it was a very normal childhood. So it's, it's funny because she's so like ethereal to all these people, but to me, she's still my mom. Yeah. Love it. That's, that's so perfect. (laughs) So, okay. So we already mentioned that you had, you were going to do chiropractic care. Um, You had some things that you, what, what other ways were you preparing through this pregnancy and just how did your pregnancy unfold? I was really lucky. Um, I had pretty, I had kind of a breeze pregnancy. You know, I wasn't nauseous. I felt great. I think a lot of that had to do with, um, my supplementation and my chiropractic care. My chiropractor is really, he operates kind of as an alternative. Yeah. An alternative integrative medicine. He's actually opening an integrative medicine facility in our town, which is amazing. Um, and so we did a lot of blood work when I was, he knew I was trying to get pregnant. So I said, you know, what should I be on? And I was supplemented for before, during and after. And I think that the supportive care I had is the majority of the reason why I felt so great. Yeah, Yeah, she didn't, Tori didn't enter into um, pregnancy any differently than she really enters into any other aspect of her life. She tends to be a deep researcher and she, um, you know, she goes in really prepared. They did Bradley, 12 weeks Mm -hmm. of, of Bradley. She did continuous chiropractic care. She exercised almost through the entire pregnancy, maybe right at the end. Yeah, I stopped. Um, I think I stopped crossfitting in my third trimester. Yeah, she was a crossfitter and or is. I don't know that crossfitters <laughs> ever stopped being crossfitters. But yeah, so she approached her pregnancy, um, not just the pregnancy, but the, the before time in preparation for that. So she went in very, very healthy and low risk. That makes such a difference when you are able to, to go into pregnancy with your nutrient stores, you know, in the right zone. And so we're not just immediately depleted. And so that's really, really great to hear that that was something that you were able to do. Now, as your pregnancy progressed, we're looking at a timeline. This was a year ago. So April of last year was a pretty crazy time. What was going on as you reached that third trimester and at the end of your pregnancy? So we went into lockdown almost a month exactly before he was born. So a little bit more, I'd say maybe more. COVID was very much a huge part of all our lives. Not that it still isn't, but, you know, the fear, I think, was at an all-time high and, um, I, we were nervous, obviously, um, we didn't want to get sick. So we, we really insulated, but, uh, 
another factor was that with people realizing they couldn't bring a partner to their hospital or a doula, they mom's phone just, I mean, it was all hours of the day and night was ringing off the hook. So what was supposed to be a very calm 12 weeks turned into a lot more clients, I think, than we expected. Right. Well, right. What, what was that like for you? For me or for mom? Stacy. You know, I, this is the first time I've kind of talked about this, Caitlin, in a lot of ways. I mean, Tori and I have talked about it, but I will say that um, there was an intense sadness because you can't listen to, I'm a birth worker, I'm a midwife. Um, I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother now. You cannot listen to women at their most vulnerable times in their lives and not feel an intense um, reaction to where they are. No one plans a pandemic. And um, the implication on birth uniquely was um, big and resounding. And for some reason, you know, I truly believe that we just really missed the boat as a country and as on the state level of not having doulas be essential workers. And so birth rights became, um, you know, I do believe that birth rights are human rights and that we have, you know, women have the right or birthing people have the right to, um, to support. And that was being stripped away in the blink of an eye. And so I felt a huge amount of responsibility, not just personally, but also on a state level, because I was working that end of it too. You know, we were having board meetings and talking about travel and just like everyone else was. But for me, it was a little bit more complicated. And so what what had been planned to be this very sacred time in our lives became much more complicated and and different and so I did approach Tori and I just said that this had to be her decision yeah she definitely made it it was a collaborative which is which is one of the reasons why mom is so amazing like she was she talked to me about it and she said, you know, I'm not going to take anybody if you're not okay with me taking anybody, but also as a person who's pregnant, just the thought of walking into a hospital at all, much less alone. I just, I like could not let other women do that. You know, it wasn't, it was never a question, you know, take on as many people as you can, because this is, it's a scary time. Right. So Caitlin, what I did is I made a list. If you, if Tori will laugh when she (laughs) hears me say this. So I made a list of what that meant of who those people would look like for me, because I didn't want people that were so running away in fear and not running towards home birth, because those are two very different roads And so most of the people that I took on, it was a criteria of, um, you know, having had a natural birth before, not everybody, but having had a natural birth before, low risk, um, a couple of them, you know, had um, high risk people in their home, but they had had, you know, like one of them 
her mother had cancer. I mean, there were different stories, but Tori is right. I was fielding probably about five calls a day. Gosh, yeah, it was such a chaotic time. And I can just, I can only imagine, you know, all of these different things that you're both balancing, you know, just being pregnant in such an, in such a changing time where we don't know what's going on. And then Stacy running a practice where we don't know what we're comparing to, like, what are, what are our standards of practice right now? <laughs> we don't know what's going on. Like, right. Yeah. Right. I, You're looking at the CDC, you know, I'm looking at um, my own personal exposure. I have a lung condition. And so that came into play of, you know, how much I wanted to be um, exposed. And that's probably, you know, was one of the biggest I would say stressors for my, me. yeah, for Tori and for my son. We were really worried about her because she is high risk. And so we weren't worried about ourselves really. The baby, I was like, you know, the likelihood of us really, really being hurt with us is minimal, but mom, not so much. And, but she's a healthcare worker, you know, and that's the risk that you take. And, you know, we know, it's not like I ever thought she was going to stop. So. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. But yeah, so so you're taking on these new clients with this criteria, which makes so much sense. And I relate so deeply to what you're saying. I feel like I saw the exact same thing where, you know, there were so many moms who maybe they had been on the fence before. Yeah. And it was that idea of like, okay, well, we'll have a hospital birth this time, but I really kind of want a home birth. But- when the pandemic hit, it was like, all right, that's it. We're jumping. Let's go. And husbands, like, we're all getting on board. Like, all right, fine. <laughs> yeah, that's it. In a nutshell, that's exactly what, that's exactly what happened, you know? Right. And so um, I didn't, uh, I didn't take a huge, well, that's not true. I probably took on around you, what, five moms, four, yes. five, four or five mothers. And that was, um, we were just glad that they didn't uh going to deliver at the same time yeah we were glad we did but for to answer your original question of what my practice usually looks like I'm a small practice I like you know in a beautiful world about two clients to a month and that changed right and because I'm a home birthing midwife I go to people's homes and so you have to put in travel time and I do all of their postpartum almost always in home so you're looking at that that aspect too so for me that's a really good number is two a month but it it changed from there yeah oh that makes so much sense and I do think that sometimes it can be hard to on the outside, when you're not the midwife to wrap your mind around all of the other aspects of care that are going on and how as a midwife, you know, yes, you've got, maybe you're on call for two, three, four moms in this time period, but you're also doing prenatal care for, you know, all of these people that are in their first, second trimester and postpartum care for these people that are, you know, up to six weeks or more out. So it's just the way that all of this balancing comes into play. It's, it's not just, oh, well, I'm on call for these, you know, this handful of births. It's I'm juggling all of this practice, which is actually pretty, pretty big stuff, even with two per month. Yes. I mean, Tori, um, 
you know, she sees that and she has a great understanding of, you know, my prenatal clinic day, my postpartum in-home visits, my um, ordering ultrasounds, ordering labs, um, following up on a mom that may be having a miscarriage who I'm supposed to, you know, see or that I'm, so yeah, she sees the full scope of, of my practice and understands and understood what that meant and right. its implication on her birth and immediate postpartum. So she did not go into that blindly, but it, it was her decision. That's fantastic. Well, Tori, so we've got the scene set. <laughs> we know that it's kind of chaos around when you're about to give birth. What was it like going into labor? Kind of what happened leading up to labor? And then you're, you're welcome to just jump into your birth story. Well, I, I was a super typical first time mom. So I did way too much uh, <laughs> trying to get my baby to come. Um, I, you know, I did all the teas. I ate so much pineapple. I had so much heartburn. <laughs> I did, I did all of it. I um, and, you know, of course, mom the whole time kept telling me, mom went to almost 43 weeks with both me and my brother. And so she was like, I'm just letting you know, the baby's going to come when the baby's going to come. But I am stubborn and a control freak. And so my due date came and went and I was very sad. Um, I should not have been, but I was. <laughs> and I, I guess I was and after that, I was like, okay, well, we're going to be here to 43 weeks. <laughs> so right around 41 weeks, I started doing um, acupuncture with my chiropractor. And that, that garnered a lot of activity, but didn't quite set me into labor. And then I guess I was, you're <laughs> going to get the timeline right now. I, I know you are. She, of course, has everything in her notes. I'm not as great with timelines as she is. I was well, I the labor timeline for a laboring mother is always a little different yeah. than <laughs> it's a total blur. Um, I was in bed, I guess I was, was I 41 and six? Yeah, I'm pulling it up right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was at probably 11 o'clock at night and I was shifting around. I was uncomfortable. I was, I've been sitting at around three and a half, close to four centimeters for weeks. And so of course, in my mind, everything was going to go very quickly. Once I went into labor, I had no basis for that thought process, but you know, I just knew. And so we, I was sitting in bed, um, felt a little bit of a gush or something, but I had been convinced before that my water was breaking and it was not. And so I was like, no, it's probably nothing. But then it was more and more. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to stand up. Well, I stood up and so much fluid. And so I went to the bathroom and unfortunately, not unfortunately, but to my surprise, um, there was some cream in the water. And so that really threw me in a very significant way. I Corey, can you explain just for any newer listeners, what meconium is and what that would, why that would kind of throw you? I, you're probably a better person to explain that because I'm going to explain it poorly. So you you explain why meconium in the water is a few bad things. So um, meconium in the water is pretty, it can be more common for mothers after their due date at 
probably around 41 to 42 weeks. So it's not a determining factor of the health of the baby, but it's when the baby has its first bowel movement inside. And so that is in the water. A downside of that that you would always be looking for is what's called meconium aspiration syndrome. And that would be when there is actually inhaled into and there are particulates in the lungs that could cause infection for the baby. And occasionally there is fetal distress that causes meconium to be in the water. So that was, of course, I am an anxious person. But kind of by nature. She is. <laughs> and so I freaked right out. And because now did. things aren't going the way that I planned. And I have done all the things right. How, why is my water breaking in the first place? I'm supposed to labor until at least six centimeters before my water breaks. This is not cool. Um, so I had a ton of fluid. And so immediately, of course, me and my husband get in the car. I live a mile from my mom. And so we drive to mom's house. I'm beating down the door and I'm like, my water broke. There's meconium. What am I going to do? Am I going to have to go to the hospital? And I think I would say that's probably the only time that mom took the midwife hat off for just a second on accident. And then she didn't take it off again until three and a half days after he was born. (laughs) Because there was a moment where I think we were both like, because it, it did look a little bit fresh, not terribly, but, you know, she was calm, but I think concerned and I was concerned as well. And I just kept looking at her and crying and saying, I can't go to the hospital. I can't go to the hospital. And so now we have to start thinking now I know I'm going to have the baby soon. And it's not a question of, am I in labor? It's when am I going to go into labor? Right. Yeah, that was around, her water broke um, at 12.23 on the 16th. And then I had a- April, on April 16th, 12.23. And labor really did not start for her, the contraction pattern until about- 24 hours later. Yeah, about 24 hours later. And so- Yes. (laughs) Um, But we made that decision- together I think like a a fear-based decision probably would have been I need antibiotics I need monitoring but I did what I always do which is you know she kind of calmed me down we calmed down together and we were like okay so what's the next step and what does you know is it going to change something if I'm in a different environment meconium aspiration syndrome wise well the answer to that question is no you know the monitoring is going to occur whether I'm in the hospital or home and being in a hospital isn't going to make my baby not aspirate my It's just the reality of the situation. And so once I kind of wrapped my head around that and realized what, it, what is the real chance that this is going to occur? Well, it's very low. What is the actual percentage of people who end up with a baby with meconium aspiration syndrome. It's very low. And really there's meconium in the water for 30% of people who are over 41 weeks. And so I think I had to break down the actual facts and wrap myself around it intellectually. And then I was like, okay, now I just have to wait. Yep. Oh, I love that. And I do feel like this is, this is a fantastic topic to discuss because there is a a good bit of confusion about meconium and what it means. And, you know, and I know that midwives operate differently. That's, 
you know, each practice is different, but recently I had a friend who, you know, went to almost 42 weeks of fame and she, you know, had meconium in her water and her midwife was like, okay, that's fine. Like, we're just gonna, we'll monitor, you know, we'll check for signs of infection, all of the things. And sometimes I feel like there's that initial reaction of, oh no, this isn't what we wanted, which uh, I mean, I don't know anyone who's been like, yay, meconium, (laughs) but But it's once again, that, that recognition that, okay, but this is something that we can manage. And if it becomes something that we need additional help with, we will seek additional help at that time. Yeah. And I would like it noted that her OB did know this. We we were in, we were in constant communication with each other. So it wasn't just my eyes on it. We ran vitals every four hours while she was, you know, in between sleeping, not that she slept as much as she should have or (laughs) that any of us really did. But, um, you know, we got our game plan and our game hat back on. And and my OB was not concerned either. And that was also, you know, between her and my GBS negative, we we had all kinds of things. You know, we ran the actual, um, you know, just the actual numbers. I hate to say in so many ways that but numbers women, make me feel better. Numbers make Tori feel better, but they're also just kind of a part of you you look at the clinical picture and her clinical picture was fine at that time. And and, and continued and to baby be. was fine. You know, we monitored baby. I took home we I went home, I took home a Doppler and occasionally I'd roll over and here's heartbeat for my own sense of sanity and I'd be like he's fine that's that's right on track and then I'd be able to rest for a little bit longer yeah that she took her temperature we we did the game plan not that she was necessarily in charge of monitoring but I would listen we did almost like I guess you could say telehealth I needed her to go home and to sleep as much as possible because if labor didn't start that would have changed the plan of course right Right. So eventually it did, but what, so let's, let's go into it. What, after we've got this moment of, oh, oh, meconium, (laughs) and then you go home to rest, Tori, what happens next? Um, nothing. (laughs) I've been having so much activity for so long. There was a moment at 36 weeks when I was like, I better make it to 37 because I was having some for real contractions. And so I've been having a lot of activity for a long time. And then of course my water breaks and I've got just nothing. I mean, <laughs> it was, I walked, I did mile circuit. I did everything I could to try to kind of jumpstart labor and it just, nothing happened. And then all of a sudden I was, I think it was probably a stress issue. And finally I got in bed and I looked at my husband and he was like, what can I do to make you feel like comfortable and stress-free? And I said, we had gotten Disney Plus right before I went into labor. Oh, yeah. Just put on like a kid's Disney movie. I need to watch The Little Mermaid and just relax. And so we put on a Disney movie and I was, for some reason, able to relax. And around midnight, finally, I could feel things starting to organize and I could feel, you know, activity picking up and I'd say I made it till about, I labored only for a couple hours, probably four or five hours by myself and just on and off, tried to nap in between. Of course, I did that very poorly. And then at around four o'clock in the morning, my husband was like, let's just go to your mom's house. (laughs) So we did. We just backed up and went to mom's house, tried to sleep upstairs, 
and on and off until about 6 a.m. But I mean, it was, it was, in my brain, I was handling labor very well because I was an early labor and I did not realize <laughs> how intense it was going to get. <laughs> and so then you're at your mom's house and you get up around six. What happens then? Uh, I'd say around seven, we called my doula because I, I got in the shower. I spent, I'd say 90% of my actual labor in the shower or in the bathtub. Yeah, she's very water oriented. Um, I'm the same way. And so I had, I was doing totally fine, managing it well. I, I will say that around, we ordered lunch and again, in my brain, I'm doing an awesome job and I'm handling labor very well. I'm probably only around five centimeters at this point, maybe inching towards six, but maybe not. We, we didn't do very many because the water was broke. We did not um, do very many vaginal exams, needless to say, but it was probably around three and four after lunch when things started really, um, really picking up into that five um, minutes apart, which sounds like they were really close. But when it really came on, it was, it was slamming. It wasn't just, I remember the first, the first time, of course, the other thing that I never expected to happen was for me to have back labor. Uh So when I first felt it, I was sitting on the couch and I was just, you know, on my hands and knees over the edge of the couch. I was, I'd been doing pretty well. And then all of a sudden I got a contraction that just I literally got up and ran from it. Like I, I stood up and I walked away and my doula looked at me and she did everything in her power not to laugh. And she said, that's not going to work. Nope, nope, nope. I am not doing this. <laughs> I was like, no, I didn't, I didn't sign up for that part. And so, but from then on, it was all back. Mm. I just, I, I don't think anything, of course, everything happens in the way that you don't prepare for it to. So I, I just had never thought in a million years that I would have back labor and, but I did. And it was, it was pretty much exclusively back from then on out. Yeah. After lunch around 2.45 is when, when that, when the back labor really started coming on, I did ask to do an assessment um, with, with her permission to, um, to see if we had any, you know, if it was just the way she was going to be laboring or if we had a positional issue, which, and, is. which it was both, I would say um, some, in some ways, I think, um, you know, some people just experience labor more in their back. And sometimes it is a positional issue. And for my grandson, he was, he was asynclitic. And we, um, we then took about the next, several hours several hours um laboring in my least favorite position we did walters i don't know if anyone really understands what is a position i'm sure you do caitlin you know what that is um where of course i have a table you know an exam table up in my office i have a home office here and so we did some pretty um intense work getting him kind of dumped back out of the pelvis and um, repositioned, and that took approximately probably six hours, I would say. Oh, golly. So it was a lot of, it was a lot. 
Yeah, mm -hmm. it was a lot of late. I think what I remember most significantly is having, it was almost like Rebozo style. So my doula was underneath me, my husband was beside me, mom was on, like kind of on my head, I guess. I was laying backwards and then we were having to pull him up, pull my stomach up, pull him up during contractions and sort of reposition him. Mm -hmm. And he did well throughout all of it. I did not. <laughs> so yeah. It was, uh, it was, it's funny because when you think you're super tough, labor will really um, take you to a place that you didn't think you could go. Right. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I just, I didn't have, I didn't have that. I didn't have to reposition my baby. She finally repositioned herself, but I did have an asynclitic baby, I think for the majority of my labor. And it just sounds like our first time laboring experiences were very similar. And it seems like we were in a very similar headspace of like, this is fine. I'm going to do great. I'm going to rock this. And then you have like this, you know, the beginning of the experience, you're like, yes, I am just like killing it. I'm so good at this. And then it's like, okay, this was early labor, Caitlin, you can calm down. <laughs> exactly. I always tell her now, I'm like, next time I'm not even calling you till I can't talk. <laughs> well, it was my second was my second birth was very different from my first. So, so maybe we'll, you'll be the same in that way too, but That's we'll record the second one, see, and compare them. Exactly. I love it. I love it. So, okay. So we are doing a lot of repositioning for this asynclitic baby. And, and for those of you who don't know what asynclitism is, it's when the baby's head is, I don't like to say cattywampus, like it's <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like not lining up exactly the way you would want it to in the birth canal, which really can just make things difficult, obviously going through the birth canal. And so these maneuvers that they were doing were to help pull the baby out so that he could reposition on his own and then, you know, traverse the birth canal in a, in an easier way. So and six hours of that. And we knew because I was, I retain a, a crazy amount of fluid, not in a swelling way, just for, for some reason I was holding a ton of water. And so because water kept coming, what we knew was that his head was not plugging up the birth canal yet. Right. And as we were like, something is just off. And so when we finally, I was getting really discouraged, I'd say by five or six, Six maybe is when I was getting really discouraged. That's six thirty-six. Um, I haven't noted. <laughs> um, six thirty-six p.m. was not. I don't think I ever expected to feel. My back was just not something that I ever anticipated feeling that much sensation in. You know, I was really prepared for cervical change. I don't think I was at all prepared for back labor, and so um, I'd say that's about the time. Is that when Moselle got there? Yeah, there, here's the backstory along with who um, ended up being at Tori's birth. Because of the pandemic and the situation in my own practice that was going on with um, the sort of the communities around all of the midwives across the across the United States, home birth midwives, but as well as within my state, the two midwives that were on quote unquote backup call of course were slammed just like I was. And when I called for the first backup, for my first choice, who was gonna be here with me, she was at a labor. When I called for the second backup, first base, second base, so to speak, um, she was 
heading towards a labor check. So there was a moment there for um, a little bit of not panic. That is not the word because I never did panic, but I also had a mom in my practice who thought her water had broken. And so the third midwife who was supposed to be with me had to go to my client that thought her water had broken. Now you've got to remember, I'm probably somewhere into about 36 hours um, with my own daughter. And yes, it was a moment. (laughs) And so here's the part where um, my beautiful, beautiful friend and woman that I have such respect for. She's in Florida. Actually, she's not in Florida anymore. Now she is near the DC area, but her name is Luiselli and she is Mother Teresa. <laughs> she really is Mother Teresa. <laughs> she is a beautiful, beautiful woman who had assisted me at a birth, um, kind of about three hours away from me the December before. So we had just done a birth in December and this is coming up on the, you know, right near tourist due date in April. And I called her and, um, it was, I'm, I don't know how to say this any other way than to say that it was for us, a God moment, for other people, it might be a universe moment. It was divine, uh, for sure. It was divine. And I called her and I said, where are you? And she said, um, oh, I'm going to a meeting. You know, she's also a theologian in a lot of ways. And she does like a lot of that kind of work along with being a midwife. And at that time, she had been taking care of her mother who was, she was not practicing. She was only assisting because her mother had had cancer. And so she was doing her care. Her mother was in remission by that time. So she was on the end of that. And I, I asked her to come and be with me and to, um, if she could, I didn't even know if she could. And she said, give me about 10 minutes and I will rearrange my schedule and mm-hmm. I will be on my way to you. And she was here at about an hour and a half later. Wow. And by that point, I was, I was in the tub by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, we were about seven centimeters. Um, no, you weren't in the tub yet. You were in the shower. I'd gotten in the tub with oh, yeah, Brandon right. and Nicole, my husband and my doula. Um, they were kind of like talking me through it. And I was, I think at the very beginning of transition, but I just wasn't in the throes of it yet. And I kept looking at them and saying, this has got to be transition, right? Like this is as bad as it gets. There's no way it gets worse than this. (laughs) And so I am, you know, going on X amount of time in labor and my hair is basically a dreadlock and in walks. It's it's hard to to paint the picture. Louis Ellie is beautiful. I mean, she looks like an angel. And of course (laughs) (laughs) she's walking in the door and I just looked up and all I could think was, you've got to be kidding me. Like of all the people you could have called. (laughs) And like, even in that moment, I thought this girl, really? Because Tori had never met Louis I never met her before. It was all the other midwives that she had. We had had Zoom calls with and she knew and um, so Luiselli was an unknown for her and it was a, my decision and not something that I really ran by Tori. Yeah, and she just kind of showed up. She just showed up 
Thank God. And so, <laughs> and so yes, we could have a whole episode about Louis Selly, but the main thing is that um, she, for me, and I'll just throw this out there, she was, um, you know, not just my sounding board, but if I had to say that a midwife, you know, that is attending her daughter's birth, she probably needs her own doula and right. her, her own assistant. And Luiselli was, um, was that for me, not just for Tori. Because yeah. I felt like at that time, I'd say between, you know, five and nine centimeters, I, I kept, I was really lucky because my husband did, I mean, 10 out of 10 amazing. I would highly recommend Bradley or Home Birth Academy or something for your husband to please understand what is going to happen. <laughs> um, and so luckily he was doing really well, but I just kept saying, where's my mom? Where's my mom? And in my mind, I was doing poorly and she wasn't there, but really she was having such a hard time seeing me in pain. I just didn't know that. And because I was in the throes of labor. So I think we were both going through our own things emotionally. Transition. Yeah, our own transition. <laughs> I love that. And so and, and Rhett, when she told me that after the birth, I was like, oh, that makes sense now. I just thought you were mad at me for some reason. And she was like, why would I have ever been mad at you? Um, but Luiselli kind of came in and I was at a point where I was, I was ready to be done. I was, it had, I was really tired. Um, I'd been awake for, you know, almost 36 hours or more. And I just, I didn't want to do it anymore. The back labor was so intense. I was in the middle of transition and I, I don't know if other people feel like this when I was in transition, I, I truly felt wild. And so there was, I felt really out of control, which for a person who is like me, who is an anxious control freak, that is not a great feeling to, to have. And labor is about letting go. And when you have a hard time letting go, I just wasn't, I wasn't at the point where I was capable of letting go. I was still trying very hard to hold on to the reins and, and make labor work for me. And I think Luiselli kind of looked at my mom and said, what does she need to hear? Yeah, we were coming out and having kind of powwows, you know, luckily, um, Tori's doula was, Tori was never alone, let no. me say that, and that's one of the things in my practice that I do talk to people about is labor support, because sometimes I think moms will even, you know, I take, I talk about every week, probably, when I'm doing prenatals, where someone would say, well, do you think I need a doula? Um, and I always just want to say yes, you know, because I know that for some people, you know, it, it comes down to money and finances and those sorts of things. But the importance of individualized labor support on the emotional level is, I think, so underrated, but um, is so it's so needed when you don't need it it's great but when you do need it and you don't have it that can really I think change in a lot of ways the trajectory for families you know and it's not just the laboring mother um 
Brandon, my son-in-law, was incredible. I mean, his strength never wavered. His attention never wavered. He must it, have been in the shower with me. I mean, he was, back support for, I mean. He did counter pressure oh, with Jean. Hours. You know, she was soaked in the shower. I have continuous hot water here. And so I have a shower that can fit about, you know, it's pretty big. It's a nice shower. So it can fit two people easily in there along with the birth ball and all that. So she availed herself of that. But we stepped out to kind of regroup, you know, because Luiselli had just gotten here, introduced herself, sat for a while with Tori, um, you know, just those normal little things. But then when we came back out, you know, we knew that there was, we were at a fork in the road. Tori was at a fork in the road. I was done. She was done. And um, coming to that emotional exhaustion and physical exhaustion, she'd been at it a long time and with intense back labor and back labor does not let up. So any of your listeners who are listening right now and you have had that, you know what I'm talking about. It is like being hit with a baseball bat in your back that radiates during the contraction, but it also radiates the rest of the time too. The, the, the sensation does not go away and it can be really exhausting and tiring until you either address the issue or you just work yourself through it. And we had addressed some of the issues as far as presentation of my grandson and that was working itself out, but it took a while and and we were coming to- We were tired. We were tired. So this is the part of the story I'll let Tori take over and then I'll say my part (laughs) of it, go ahead. I guess what I was just in a, I was in a place of exhaustion, tired. I I would have done, if there had been a button on the wall, I could have pushed, I would have pushed it. Give me all the pain relief. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mom kind of came out. I didn't know her any Louis Lily had a conversation prior to this, but she, I, she said, she's the only person that could have said it to me. And the probably the only way I could have gotten over the hump was for her. She knew that I needed it was to say, you know, if you want to get in the car right now and, and get pain relief and go to the hospital, that is your choice, but it's, it has to come from a place of power. You know, I'm, I'm not going to let you look down the road from here six months and wonder about the what ifs. If you're not a victim of your birth, you know, make this decision, but, you know, make it for yourself and make it from a place of power. You are not a victim. And so that changed everything for me. I needed, my mom knows me and sometimes I just need a hard conversation. I don't, you know, I don't think babying me through that moment would have been the right answer. Right. And so it, it just, it changed my whole mindset. I, I was like, she's right. You know, I'm, I'm almost there. I just have to get there. And Stacey, what was that like for you? Excruciating. Um, we had come out, you know, I knew, I know my daughter, I know most of my clients, you know, not on that level, but we spend a lot of time together. And there are moments where I do truly believe that an epidural can absolutely be pain, you know, pain relief in general can be an amazing move 
to take and um, it it's great. I really do believe that. I don't ever think that someone, you know, oh, it has to be done this way. But when we came out here, I was in the laundry room and, you know, I was crying a little bit just because I knew there we didn't have much time before we were headed into, um, you know, maternal exhaustion is a real thing. And the baby was great and everything looked great, but you can't do that forever. And a switch needed to be, you know, flipped. And so I paced up and down my laundry room for a few moments and Luiselli came and she just leaned in the doorway. She was leaning up against the doorway. It was open. And she said, so what do you think needs to happen? And I turned around almost aggressively probably <laughs> and said, well, I know what needs to happen. And she said, okay, well, what's stopping that? And I said, well, it's just, you know, I didn't, I don't want to have to be the one to just like say this to my daughter, all the things that I said to her to go in there. And she said, but do you think that's what needs to happen? I said, oh yeah, I know her really well. <laughs> and, and so she came and held her arms open to me and said, how about you, you know, take some of my strength for a moment and then we'll go back in there. Oh. And I said, okay. And so I did. You know, I let her fold me for a moment and then stood up straight and walked in there and said those things to her. And Tori's saying it in a nice way. <laughs> it was her. It was, it was, it was But Tori's saying, so I don't sound so bad, but I did. I was at probably my, you know, when you're looking at your children. because she, she was momming me. I was sure. momming her for a moment. I took off the midwife hat and I did say, I don't care what you do. Right. It, this is, it's not about that. That's not what this is about. It's about owning it and stepping into, you know, your power. And I did say those words to her that she was not a victim of her labor or her birth. This was what she was given. And so mm -hmm. the decisions to move forward in whatever direction were her decisions and they needed to come from, like she said, a place of power. And I did say all that. Wow. Yeah. Stacey, I'm pretty sure almost every mother could use those words at some point, you know, just <laughs> have those in their brain somewhere. So everyone listening, go ahead and tuck that away in your head. And when you get to that point in labor where you feel like, I don't know, I'm not sure if I can do it. You just hear Stacy's voice. <laughs> you are not a victim of your birth. You need to step into your power and make your decision. <laughs> we, yes, it's, you know, like sometimes I will see, I've, I've done I've done hundreds of births and sometimes you will see women be at a place where they're doing it, but it's not for them. Maybe they made the plan because, you know, their sister did it one way, their mother did it one way, their husband wants it one way, someone else has envisioned this for them. And what they need, and I have said those very things, not necessarily in that way, this was a mother-daughter moment, but where I realize that someone, they need my support or, or someone else's permission almost, they're at their most vulnerable, to change the plan. And, mm -hmm. and that's okay. It's, it's okay. What's not okay is that we're not supporting women 
in that process in a way that empowers them. We, we take things away instead of adding support and, and structure and help. It's almost like we're taking away those options. And later is when they struggle with processing that because birth has to be processed. Yes. How much trauma could be avoided if it's framed appropriately in the moment of, you know, these are your decisions. This is, this is your time. You, you get to decide what comes next. Right. Well, and I do feel like you and Lucilla really alleyed it very well. You know, she kind Mm -hmm. of, after mom said that, you know, Lucilla sort of took over and she is, I don't know how to describe it, a very calming presence. And she's the only person who could really make me focus. She would, she just said, look at my eyes and breathe, look at my eyes and breathe. And I, I can picture her eyes right now. (laughs) I was like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And so she checked me and I think that was the, that was really only the second time I'd been checked. I mean, I I hadn't been checked in almost 24 hours. It'd been a really long time. Yeah. We had done an assessment. um, Well, it was less than that, but we had done an assessment of course, for the positional issues. Mm -hmm. And then um, we, but we weren't checking dilation. No, dilation wasn't. Or I didn't know. I didn't know where it was. Yeah, I don't even know if we really talked about where where you were. No. I don't even know if we said that. That was more of um, Luiselli. You know, I, I asked her to do that last check just because things needed to change. Sometimes just the very energy in the room. And Luiselli was really that. Um, she was certainly. You she know, said the, you're. She was you're certainly in a nine. Yeah, and it. And I guess knowing that, knowing that you're close, 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 quote unquote, to the end, mm-hmm. made me think, all right. And so I think I kind of got a second win. Yeah, everything changed. I mean, when I walked out and left her with Lucelli intentionally and came back, I mean, her hair was in a high ponytail. <laughs> she was, you know, it was that, um, that. I, I like, let's put our hair up and get this was like in the warrior mode at that point. And you see that. I love it. It's not the first time I've seen it. Um, and it won't be the last time I see it. I know, God willing. But yeah, it's this switch. It's a very much a mental switch. And Tori transversed over that um, beautifully. That's and, why they call it transition. And I was so, so very proud of her in, in that respect because it was an internal um, struggle I know because it wasn't physical at that point it was it was the emotional strength that she pulled yeah Tori I, I love hearing this sometimes I feel like I mean I never wish a hard birth on anybody <laughs> who wants who wants a difficult labor but to hear the things that you did gain through this you know to hear the power that you took on to hear just those changes that were made. I mean, I can't help but imagine that this has served you in your motherhood and just in your womanhood, you know, just sometimes that birthing experience, that flip that switches, I don't think it really ever unswitches. It, I think it that it never unswitch. I don't, I was literally thinking that today. I was like something in something broke in a good way and softened me. I think almost like brought me back to a really soft place and it, and it hasn't ever gone back. I've, 
I'm a totally different person, literally from the moment she walked out of the room to my pushing stage. I really think who I am as a person is different. I did not know I was going to be so emotional over all of this. <laughs> oh, I've already cried like three times today. <laughs> this is our this is our first time, Caitlin, to kind of really be yeah to be talking about it. You know, I um I couldn't be more proud. Not because it's it's bigger than just the physical components of it. Tori's an amazing mother. Um, Thanks, and, Mom. You're welcome. I mean, she she truly is. Her entire focus is this little boy and his happiness. And and it, but it's bigger. She doesn't just live in the moment. And Tori's always been kind of a living in the moment um, child, toddler, um, teenager. Big feelings. She has big feelings. We are very different people. Yeah. And uh, it's you know no one raises a teenager without coming out of it thinking oh my lord how did that just uh happen but Tori has this has been very different because our relationship is much closer because we both are mothers and she's an amazing mother that I respect wow. it's not just that I love her I respect her oh, oh wow. <laughs> well so let's talk about this this last centimeter to go. Tori was in the shower and she was with her, um, she was with Louis Ellie and with Nicole. And honestly, we were hanging back. I was listening, you know, Louis Ellie and I all alternated. And, you know, of course, we're listening to the baby all the time and taking, you know, temperatures and doing all that kind of stuff. But that was really in the background. We, I'm, that wasn't the main focus and the lights were low. Um, I was in the shower and, and I, Tori said, fill that tub. <laughs> but I didn't know, you know, people always tell you, you're going to know when you're pushing. And I think what I wish I had known was that the end of transition and the beginning of pushing stage are, they are not some clear, this part is over and this part begins. And Amen. I, <laughs> how I had them in my mind. I had them as very much separate. And so while I was still at the end of transition and starting to push, I as a voice out loud, I was like, I'm never going to start pushing. And Louis Ellie had been sitting quietly watching me from across the room for, I don't know, 20 or so minutes. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she, I'll never forget it. She said, you already are. Mm -hmm. I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, you already are pushing. Do you see how you're leaning down like that? Do you feel that different sensation? That's pushing. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> it's like it dawned on me all of a sudden that I was pushing. And pushing for me, I think it's a personality thing. I know for some people, they don't feel this way. Put, pushing is productive. Yeah. And that for me was by far my favorite stage of labor, which I know sounds crazy. Um, I'm right there with you, Tori. We are <laughs> BFFs. Like, I, am, I am all for the productivity of pushing. And so, and I think if there's anything that I can say about home birth, the pushing stage of my labor was the most, it's what everyone is so afraid of, but it was for me, the most beautiful, amazing part of my labor. Like I, we finally filled up the tub. I got into the tub. 
and it was, you know, up to my belly. I, God knows I needed it. I needed, I needed to feel a little bit weightless with him. But as he really got into the birth canal and I really started pushing some of that back labor kind of relieved because he was in the spot he needed to be in. And, you know, the great thing about having Louis Sully there was she looked at me and very calmly said, not every contraction calls for pushing. You'll know when you need to push. And what I wish I could look at every mother and say is I know that it's scary, the idea of an unmedicated birth, but it's not nearly as scary as you think. And how do you know if you can't feel what call, what your body is calling for? There were moments when I would fall asleep for five minutes and then wake up to need to push, or I would just ride out the contraction knowing that I didn't need to. So I feel like that's the moment that I just let my body take over and I released it. And I thought, you know, my body knows what to do. And I stopped fighting. Finally, it only took 36 plus hours, but I did eventually stop fighting. We were almost at 48 by then. So actually it's a little bit longer than that. Yeah, there were, um, it was beautiful. I mean, the lights were low and, you know, it was just Tori and, and Crosby at that at that point she doesn't remember this um but and I was so kind of surprised that she didn't remember it but she would just whisper to him you know between sometimes she would be all out pushing and then other times she would just say okay baby it's your turn and then there would be she would ride out the contraction and so it was, it was quiet. There wasn't, you know, again, of course we were, I don't even know if she remembers us listening to heart tones. I don't really remember. No, I do remember the, the thing I remember most vividly from my entire birth is pushing and I was towards the end of pushing, but I was really okay. And I did not feel overwhelmed by labor anymore. I just felt the work of it. And I looked around and no one was saying anything. My mom was sitting on the floor. My doula was sitting on the floor. Louiselli was sitting on the floor. And my husband was sitting like up by me on the tub. And everyone was just, there was just music and, and silence. Everyone was just kind of supporting me silently. And I don't know how to, it is very hard to describe that amount of love and support if I could wish any feeling on any mother it would be that moment of just I was just infused with just love and support and it was I mean it was pretty amazing it was incredible it sounds like it and I agree that's those feelings of just of feeling so deeply held yes exactly that is exactly how you feel oh beautiful so you've been pushing. How does how does he finally enter the world? Um, <laughs> should I tell that story? Yeah, you should tell it. Uh, so I'm finally I'm feeling like it's never going to be over, and I'm like, oh gosh, is he going to come or is he not going to come? Come on! Like, and mom finally looks at me because she can tell that I'm getting close, and she said, why don't you reach down and see if you can feel him? And so I reached down. And I could feel his hair and it was just such a, oh my gosh, this is happening. Like I'm about to have a baby (laughs) and you don't realize that it's a push and pull. So when I felt his head, 
when the contraction was over, it, you know, they, he kind of sucked back in. I don't know how else to describe it. And I was like, no, I thought we were there. Cause you watch all these birth videos and you see, you know, you see that, that moment of birth, you don't see the push and pull that occurs right before. And he had a lot of molding to do. He had a 14 inch head. So there was a lot of, a lot of that push and pull. And then when he was finally really crowning ring of fire, I, I looked at mom and all I said was, can I say that? You I can say, I say it. Yeah. I looked at mom you're dead in the eyes. And I just said, mom, my clip, my clip. <laughs> and everyone in the room you can tell was just trying so hard not to laugh and she was like okay I got it she reached around <laughs> kind of pushed his head away from me I just added a little counter a little pressure, counter to, pressure. The, to the clip to the and clip. then um when his head was out I then demanded that she pull him out the rest of the way and she laughed and she said no baby you gotta you gotta push him out and so I did <laughs> And she said, just pull him out. Just pull him out. I said, <laughs> she said, I can't do that. You have to push. It was probably the only time I really laughed. Yeah, we all was, laughed. Yeah. It was a, even I laughed while I was pushing him out because I was like, that was a ridiculous thing to say. Um, <laughs> I just really wanted it. Much of a request. But I, as soon as he was finally out, I just, it was, I mean, it was ma- amazing. Like, yeah, he was beautiful. He was, um, wide, you know, wide-eyed and open, and they were just staring at each other. And he had beautiful tone, um, you know, efforts to cry, all those things. Of course, I'm running Apgar's in my head and doing all of that. But um, yeah, it there are no words for for receiving your your own grandchild and seeing your own child become, you know a mother because it wasn't real I had been kind of I don't want to say disconnected but I don't think because I am an anxious person I'm sure that other people who are anxious will kind of relate to this sometimes I I had a tendency during pregnancy to not really bond with him like I didn't talk to him a lot I didn't I didn't emotionally sort of get there with him until the very end and then he was all of a sudden at the very end through the birth process. And then when I held him, he was sort of real for the first time. And so we, I really did feel like I was meeting him for the first time. He, he hadn't been a, a real person to me up until that point. Wow. Yeah, that's a, such a beautiful moment. And, and that first realization of motherhood, I agree. It's like, it's the idea of, a baby, you can grasp that, you know, there's a baby in there, but yes. the experience of a baby, you know, it's just, they're, they're worlds apart. So I, I see exactly what you mean. And I mean, what a beautiful experience. And as we, as we come to a close, I'd love to hear how you guys did postpartum together, because Tori, I know you said that your postpartum was amazing and that you wish that for other mothers and I couldn't agree more. So could you guys tell us what you did to make that such a beautiful time? Well, I, so I stayed here at mom's house um, for a week and I did not want to leave. Um, (laughs) But I, you know, I was really well cared for and I wish, um, you know, I hear so much about like that chaos and I, I don't even think I had a hormone dip. I don't, I tell mom all the time, the 
the most beautiful I've ever felt and the best I've ever felt is like the day after and two days after birth, which I know sounds crazy, but I mean, I was so well cared for and I would wake up in the morning and my dad would be cooking breakfast and all my only job was to just nurse my baby and take care of me. And I, I really wish that that's how we approached early postpartum for everyone. I think it would, it would help so much mentally because I was so worried about postpartum depression. I had, you know, kind of a tendency towards uh, a depressive or anxious tendency. So I was really worried about that. And I think us jumping onto postpartum and really attacking it in a very self-care centered way. Yeah, we really insulated. Uh, Caitlin, that's a good question because Tori experienced the emotional um, support of that. And so for her, I think it's almost like in a dreamlike quality or however you like, if you take a picture for her, I think the picture is very, um, you know, surreal and lovely. But let me say this from a, um, you know, from a, a birth support aspect, it was very well planned out. I had an IBCLC on standby that came mm-hmm. here at day, um, that did a home visit at day one, um, to, you know, just like, and that continued. I actually, that was my, one of my gifts to her was an IBCLC and we did placenta encapsulation. So there was a doula that came on day three. We had an IBCLC, a doula on day three, and then, um, you know, the, the stress and the gatekeeping was kept at an absolute minimum intentionally. There were not people coming to visit there. There was, I mean, we had, not unless I invited them into that space, right? Not unless Tori had invited them into the space. So um, we did champagne brunches, candlelit herbal um, baths every night. And, um, Yes, I mean, we changed sheets and sprayed um, lavender on everything. And yes, but it was intentional. It was very well planned out beforehand. And that was probably... And having a postpartum plan and and protecting your space in the immediate postpartum, I always knew was so important, but I I know it's so much more now. I think that that's fantastic to hear coming from your end, Stacey, too, of what you did to care for this new mother and new baby and what your family did, because there is oftentimes a disconnect, I think, from the generation that's having babies right now with their mothers and parents, because you guys didn't really receive support either. So knowing how to mother the new mother is something that we've kind of lost for a few generations and hearing how you actually did it. Like what, what were the steps? You know, we made sure that we were changing the sheets. We gate kept, we, you know, that is so practical. And I think that this could, this could be a resource for other families who want to support, but just didn't quite know how. Yes. I mean, I think, you know, we are missing the boat. You know, my generation certainly is missing the boat on, on how, um, how much of an influence and a support that could really happen. I mean, I'm all for baby showers and I think all of that is really great and good, but the meat and potatoes of, of parenthood can be built in the postpartum period. It is intensely important to me as a midwife, but it was, 
a privilege to provide as a mother because I don't think anyone else could do that. And we did it um, and it was a beautiful time in our lives. It doesn't mean that the healing process wasn't taking over, but you know, new mothers are living hour to hour. Um, they're nursing a baby and they're getting up to, you know, take care of themselves physically and the ability to have them do that well and to feel supported means that you take care of them. Tori didn't need anyone to take care of her baby. She needed someone to take care of her. And that that was a something that I'd always planned to do. And and yes, it worked out beautifully for us, but it was planned. It didn't just happen. Yeah, food and laundry and just care, feeling feeling held before, during, and after birth, I think is crucial. I don't, I know so many mothers, because I have so many friends who gave birth, who automatically everyone felt entitled to the baby, and it felt like they were totally forgotten about, and that is not how I felt at all. That's wonderful. That is so beautiful, and I I wish that for every single mother. So thank you both for sharing that. And and as a whole, thank you so much for sharing this story. It was so intimate, so beautiful and difficult, intense. I just, I feel like I have been through the whole spectrum <laughs> of emotion and it just, it was such an honor to have both of you. Thank you, Tori. And thank you, Stacy, so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. It was wonderful, Caitlin. We were so so happy. Whoa. I am blown away with all that I gained from this interview. I believe it's one I will need to go over several times to really glean all of those golden bits of useful advice. As we head into the episode roundup, I want to pull out the three pieces that I found to be deeply invaluable. Number one, you are not a victim of your birth. Now, as Stacey and Tori alluded, this may not always be the best way to speak to someone in labor. Relationship and an understanding of what is needed is key, but assuming we are not currently in labor as we listen to this, I want you to really begin to contemplate this concept. Listen, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. When it comes to preparation, we can do it all. We can check every single box, prepare 100%, and the wildness of birth can take us to a situation we did not expect at all. There are no guarantees in birth, and there's no way to will a specific outcome. Of course, I believe preparation is massively important, but we can only control so much. But our perspective, our outlook, our frame through which we view our birth and situation... That's really up to you, my friend. And hard as it may be, choosing to step into empowerment about your birth beforehand if possible, but it's never too late to reframe after, it can make all the difference. Number two, I love the discussion that came up regarding transition and the flip that switched for Tori. I'll say it again. I believe that that switch is never turned off and it's what propels us so strongly into motherhood. It's so fascinating. This exact conversation was brought up inside of the Happy Home Birth Podcast community just the other day. If you aren't in there, you are missing out on some incredible conversation. And finally, number three, postpartum. You know, I think this episode, whether the whole thing or even just the end on postpartum, would be great to share with friends and family who may be around to help you postpartum. 
Mamas, we need help. We need support. We need a community. Because of the medical industrial complex and the way it's pulled mamas and babies apart for generations now, we can't expect our parents to know how important postpartum is. Many of our own mothers didn't receive the care that they needed. It's foreign. So sharing this information could be a great way to open up conversation about how you could receive help in the days and weeks following birth. Taking time to heal is a gift so much deeper than anything else on the baby register. Okay, my friends, that's all I've got for you for now. I'll see you back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Are you looking to extend the home birth support, encouragement, and education? Join us in our Facebook group, Happy Home Birth Podcast Community, and check us out on Instagram at Happy Home Birth Podcast.